0: One in five people are unable to get pregnant after trying to conceive for over a year. This is a description of infertility. Thankfully, there are options when navigating infertility and many amazing fertility specialists available, but the process can be challenging, can impact relationships, and many report they feel isolated and anxious when facing infertility. We hold hands with many families over at One Love Doula Services who contact us while trying to conceive, and we cry with them when experiencing a miscarriage, and many times get to cry with them again when they hold their rainbow baby in their arms. Delaine Williams, a director for Progeny, an organization who helps companies establish fertility benefits for their employees. Delane is also a mother, and she joins us today as she shares her fertility journey. Hi, I'm Yamel, a registered nurse, doula, international board-certified lactation counselor, and a business owner. But most importantly, I'm a mother. Join in as we empower you with tools and resources provided by our expert guests. Let us lighten your load by providing tons of laughs, But most of all, hold hands in this community we call Motherhood. Let's dive in. Hello, welcome to the Motherhood Kit. Thank you for having me. Why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself, your fabulous self, to our audience? Thank you so much, but don't feel fabulous. By the end, you'll feel fabulous. We'll, we're going to get nice
1: and <laughs> yeah. My name is Delane. I am a Tampa native and local, born and raised here, but went to college at FAMU, which some people find that unimportant. But if you went to FAMU, you know it's a big deal. And I am the mother of two and wife of one. I have a two-year-old and a seven-month-old. I work in infertility. It's my dream job. And I love being a mom. Tell me a little
0: bit. Let's start there because you said it's your dream job. I, lo- I love that. I absolutely love that. What do you mean I work in infertility? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I work for an organization called Progeny. We increase access to reproductive health care and we really help our patients to have a timely and supported fertility journey. Um, and through that, um, speeding up the time that it takes for people to get pregnant and navigate the throes of infertility that outside of our organization are largely just navigated alone. Infertility is a very, very, very isolating experience. So much so that prior to progeny, I really hadn't shared what I have been going through. So when I say it's my dream job, I now get to take that shame and use it to help impact others. So how could that not be a dream to be able to just share my experiences for a living in a way that really helps other people realize their dreams of having a family? It's a beautiful experience. I love doing it. And it's it's healing for me.
0: Yeah, I, I love that for you let's start from the top. Let's start from there. When did you realize that? Because of course, this podcast episode is titled A Fertility Journey. And I felt that when I wanted to share about different ways of becoming a mama, we have a, another episode, an adoption journey. And I hope to dive into different people's birth stories too, wow. because we become moms in different ways, right? So. Yes. The first person that I thought about was you because I think that you are just so well-informed. You equipped yourself, you and Michael, both of you guys equipped yourself so well. So I know a little bit about your journey, of course, but I would love for you to share with our audience um, your journey to becoming a mom the first time around.
1: Well, I think the first thing I want to say is that Black women are much more likely to experience infertility but significantly less likely to seek out care. There are two parts to this story, the first being that I always suspected that I would have some challenges starting a family because I had always experienced abnormal cycles that different healthcare providers over the years had always told me were somewhat normal and I mm-hmm. just was always miserable. I always suspected that something was wrong. Fast forward, I get married to Michael and two years in, we decide that we want to start trying for a family and we almost noticed immediately within, I guess, about three or four months that something was wrong. It was the first medical, I guess, emergency, you would say, that we experienced as a married couple, like it is for so many couples in the nation across the world that are experiencing infertility It's the first medical diagnosis they may receive as a couple and have to navigate. And it's really challenging. So this was in 2017, and it took about a year to get a formal diagnosis. And that was really, really trying. Um, my husband got a diagnosis first. Shockingly, mm-hmm. that was not our healthcare practitioner's initial advice, which is for those of you that may be navigating infertility with your partner, your male partners, um, semen analysis are pretty affordable, typically under $150 and not invasive at all. So a lot of times when couples are trying to get pregnant, women are trying to dig for those answers, which are a lot more difficult to find because it does at times require invasive operations and medical advice and things like that to find a diagnosis for infer- infertility. But with men, they just offer a semen analysis, so.
0: And I love that you touch on that because I have sat with many clients that just think that it's them, right? The person that's going to get pregnant, but it's very easy. And why not? Why not go through all the testing for both people? It's not always that it's the woman in the relationship. It could be something very simple and it's quick to identify. I've actually sat with my aunt happens to be a fertility nurse. And me being a nurse and a nerd, I've sat with her in labs many times doing semen analysis, and it's it's really cool to be able to quickly give answers to families. We left off at that part. You guys decided that you wanted to get
1: help. You both went. Yeah, he got a formal diagnosis, and from there, that was enough information for us to know we were gonna need to seek out another path to building a family. So we went to see a reproductive endocrinologist, which I found through a coworker. She said her neighbor was a reproductive endocrinologist and he went to medical school with someone that worked at a practice in Tampa. And that's how I found my doctor. There was no progeny there for me. I didn't have access to care through progeny. So that's how I got connected with my REI. From there, we moved forward with two rounds of IUI that failed. This season of my life is so Distinctive to me because it was like Q4 of the year, Um, the holidays were coming up, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe we'll be able to tell our family that we're pregnant for Christmas. Mm -hmm. We were closing Mm -hmm. on our house on December 18th, and I was like, yeah, maybe we'll be able to tell our family that we got pregnant for Christmas. And that first IUI was scheduled sometime in um, early November, and then we waited and my cycle came. It was a familiar feeling, a familiar devastation that I've been feeling that before. And an IUI, for those who don't know, is just artificial insemination. It stands for intrauterine
0: insemination for those that want to look up, because there may be somebody that really wants to get informed. We'll add some more details as well in in our notes for this episode for those of you that want to learn, because we know that this journey can be very isolating and very challenging too.
1: Yes. That was not the recommended treatment path for us, but because of costs and barriers to moving forward with IVF, we decided to go through two rounds of IUI. Both rounds failed, and we realized that we were gonna have to do it IVF. And I remember feeling so devastated. It was just the stigma that is associated with infertility and then through building your family through reproductive technology is traumatizing to an extent. So I just remember feeling very, very anxious about having a family. And I want to highlight because we're a little bit
0: more educated on this now, being more sensitive to married couples or people in a partnership, right? Two two people in a partnership without kids, we're a little bit more ed- educated on it. But I think that we still are putting our foots in our mouths, asking new married people, "When are the babies coming? When are you having a baby? Specifically, are Families, black and brown people. When are you guys going to have them babies? Like, you have no idea what that couple is going through. So, think of other questions to ask new couples when you see them kidless. And that it doesn't mean that that's everyone's journey, that that's what everyone wants. I know that this podcast is about motherhood, but not everyone wants that. I wanted to. Put that in everyone's brain because I think that sometimes we do it unintentionally because we have couples in our circle that we know in our hearts that they're going to be amazing parents. We want to push them because I've done that mistake too way back in the past. Try to reserve those comments. Did you guys ever experience that? And how did you handle that? Whoa.
1: Did we? (laughs) I almost kind of feel kind of emotional even thinking back to it but it's good to be brought back to those moments sometimes. I remember just people have tons of unsolicited advice. So part of this was isolating because there aren't that many people that are educated about it, right? And that leads to just ignorant comments and questions and tons of unsolicited advice. So we did not really share with our families what we were doing or going through because people will say, oh, why don't you adopt? Maybe God's trying to tell you to do that or oh you just need to lose weight or um or pray on it you, know, you need to pray on, on it. it or you know things just happen in time when you stop stressing about it, it'll it happen which the latter of which as you know Yamel, i now have a seven month old <laughs> yes let's end that story
0: so with the IVF, is how we have nandi
1: yeah we have nandi through ivf i started my ivf cycle after having a myomectomy surgery in May of 2019 and we got five embryos. So, if there ever is, I'm so thankful for my journey. I try to honor it as best I can while also acknowledging that if there is ever a cookie cutter story or pathway through IVF, mine may be in that bunch to an extent because there are people that are dear to me who have experienced multiple failed cycles. Yes, on their journey to have a family and That is common. That is is normal to have to do it more than once, depending on what your path to having your family is. And I told someone this the other day, like the blessing of motherhood, the gift of what motherhood is, is worth every sacrifice. So just never feel any shame in that. But we, got, we did one round. We got five embryos, transferred one. Shortly after that, experienced a miscarriage. Waited a couple more months and then transferred another embryo in October of 2019. And that is Nandi.
0: Yay! Hi, moms. We know you are fiercely navigating the busy world of mothering. The Motherhood Kid Podcast has got your back. This episode is proudly sponsored by One Love Nanny Services, reshaping childcare in Tampa Bay with a personal touch. Imagine tailored, exceptional childcare without the hassle. One Love Nanny understands the demands of your fast-paced life. We offer time-saving, customized nanny matching services and convenient babysitting memberships. Elevate your childcare experience with precision and care. Visit onelovenanny.com today. Because every family deserves exceptional support.
1: Beautiful. (laughs) And then, baby number two. And then, you know, I decided that I wanted to try to, you know, get my baby weight off and get off fine. And on the night that I started working out, you know, (laughs) I felt nauseous earlier that day. Ooh. And my husband had mentioned you should take a pregnancy test back up from here so we've been traveling i traveled a lot for work we had gone to california and nandi was still nursing she was like 17 months at the time and i thought that i was jet lagged so like all of thanksgiving i was sleeping all day on my mom's couch and everybody's like what is wrong with you and i'm like i'm jet lagged i'm jet lagged so mm-hmm. like this is like two weeks after getting back from california but i'm thinking with the baby i'm just not catching up fast forward the monday after thanksgiving we're driving my daughter to my grandmother she kept her and i felt nauseous and my husband's like you should take a pregnancy test and i'm like uh you know anybody going through infertility like that's not your favorite thing to do so that night after i worked out i'm like i'm gonna get back to me you know i took a test and i forgot about it but i happened to be passing back by the toilet that night and I saw it on the back and I said oh my, god, oh, my god, oh my god oh my god oh my god I totally flipped out Michael he was a little unsure I'm pretty sure I texted Yamel the very next morning
0: for everybody listening, I keep a lot of secrets relating to who's <laughs> pregnant. So I can, I, I can almost smell it. Sometimes I'll be sitting next to people and I'm just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, she's pregnant. And then I get a text like two days later, I have to tell you something. So I was totally so excited when I got your text, but of course because I know better now. My first question is always to people that tell me they're pregnant is, how do you feel? How do you feel about this news? Because I wanna match your energy. If we're gonna cry, we'll cry together. If you're super excited, I'm gonna be excited too. <laughs> if we need to be upset about it, I'll I'll be upset. I wanna match your energy. I wanna be able to support you and not bring out my happy doula, nurse emotions, mom of five emotions first, <laughs> so.
1: After I told you like, I'm excited and you were like, I kinda had a feeling. Mm-hmm. I remember just feeling like this was just so impossible, but Mary Elise is here now. She is Mm. seven months old and such a blessing. So my daughter Nandi is two and a half now. So pretty cool to have two girls so close in age. I'm really excited about that. Isn't it? I love it. I love it. I love it. But I hear now a lot of people say to me, Oh, well, I told you all you needed to do was wait on his timing. And I kind of feel like it invalidates Nandi. Not cool at all. But you know, I don't know if people just don't know what to say. Yeah. But yeah, it happens. Somehow we may nary from just old-fashioned sex. And she's here. We have three embryos embryos remaining, though. so. So like you said, Black and Latino women are less likely to seek
0: fertility treatment than their white counterparts. And I know that firsthand, how difficult it is to explain to our families because to them, it should be as easy as... You fall in love, you have a baby, or if it's taking too long, oh, let's pray about it. Oh, your cousin such and such waited three years and our culture, our family, I know they don't mean any malice, but I think that we just have to learn to do better. How did you, when you did decide to share with people that you were going through IVF, how did you share that with
1: your family? So my mom's a nurse. And that's somebody that I was talking to every day. So I made the choice that I was going to make the investment of time and conversation. And she, you know, educated herself. It wasn't really that hard to talk about it with her. And I kind of prepared my ex. I expected to invest that type of time in that with her. For everyone else outside of two friends, I just did not share. It was a very isolating experience. I had another very close friend navigating a similar journey at the time that I was. So I leaned on her and I leaned on a coworker who he and his wife were going through it as well. I chose not to talk about it much with my family at all because just expect the unexpected people have opinions. Mm -hmm. And
0: And I think it's okay to say nothing. Sometimes I did want to know just in case someone is considering telling their family, I did want to know if you chose that, but I do think that it's okay not to tell for my Home birth, I didn't tell most of my family because I knew the both of my home births or my due dates, I wouldn't tell. Or, you know, in my culture, it was very much about, are you having a boy or a girl? Are you, oh my God, their thing is always, Pedro only knows how to spit out girls. Like that's insulting, oh, wow. you know, in a, in a Latino household. And we just kind of like, roll our eyes. So I think that it's okay to say less, say less about what we're going through. I do feel looking at it from a doula's perspective and and as someone that sits with families a lot going through this journey, because it's very humbling to meet families that are following us on Instagram or bump into our website and they message us and say, hey, we're going through a fertility treatment right now, but we already know we want you guys as part of our of our birth story. And I just, it just brings me to tears. So I sit with them and I see their partnership just getting stronger and, and so much more united when they're at the other side of things. So I think it's okay to lean on your partner and not necessarily have everyone in your circle understand this journey that you've chosen to get to motherhood.
1: Yeah, and you can't really make people understand. So I think our decision to not share was really tailored around like not being able to control the uncontrollable and tailoring our expectations. So if we did share with someone, we didn't hold them to our standards of politeness or what was the right or wrong thing to say. Because I know a lot of people don't know about infertility and just expect if you share, some people may say things that are ignorant sometimes. And mm-hmm. it's really sad, but that's just the reality of it. So... It was easier for us not to share. And whenever we did share, we just braced ourselves for whatever came out of it. But I would just challenge people to be gracious with your family, but also, you know, just be protective of your journey. Be aware of what you need of yourself. Be self-aware. Don't invite anybody in the village that's not going to hold you up and hold your journey Mm -hmm. close to their heart because you do need people to be gentle with you um, and gracious with you. And you need people who are going to be willing to, you know, hit a quick Google search before asking you something stupid, something really common that people listening to this that are navigating infertility may deal with. After you go for your egg retrieval, people want to know how many embryos did you get? How many eggs did you get? How many? And it's like, you know, you don't want to be responsible for having to give people a report after every part of your journey. That's personal medical information. But people Duh. are always like wanting to know the results. And sometimes you get these results and you're devastated or sometimes you get these results and you're like great but we got to get to the next step you know we're not there yet and even as you know throughout my pregnancy with Nandi which was extremely turbulent i didn't let out a sigh of relief till she was here mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is very much what i hear
0: from a lot of families that they're just worried the entire time they're they're worried until they have that baby in their arms because of the difficult and challenging journey that they've been on, which, which is understandable, totally understandable. What is a piece of advice that you would give our listeners on where they should start if they suspect that they may need fertility treatment and how they can better educate themselves with fertility benefits via their employer? Because not every employer provides fertility benefits, and
1: I know that that holds a lot of people back. I would definitely say first if you think that you, you suspect that you've been ex- you're experiencing infertility don't wait to ask your doctor about it. The advice for some couples is to wait 12 months and if you're over 35 the advice will, is 6 months, but if you ever suspect something is wrong, there are tests that could be done to can identify if you have any underlying cause of infertility pretty early on. The second thing I would be is definitely touch base with the medical plan offered by your employer inquire with your employer about the offerings through your medical plan and see if there is coverage and if there is not definitely advocate for that you go to the progeny website there is a place where you can ask HR but yeah you can also find us at www.progeny.com and yeah if you don't have progeny coverage you can enter your information there for us to help you advocate for that coverage with your employer. Thank you. This has this has been
0: great. Way better than I could even imagine because I feel like we gave everyone such great information, firsthand information. And I'm just so happy for you and Michael. And you guys are just the cutest family ever. We're gonna link your information in the show notes and I'm sure that my audience will agree. Thank you so much for joining the Motherhood Kit and adding to this conversation such vital information. I hope you enjoyed this episode and feel seen and supported if you're out there and navigating your fertility journey let's continue the conversation i love to chat you can find all the details on how to find me how to learn more about delaine and the organization progeny as well as how to join our private tmk community in the show notes let's continue to hold hands in this season of motherhood together until next time